If this gluco roller coaster is bad for me, yeah. the spikes and the crashes, how does one flatten the glucose curve? In your book, you talk about these 10 hacks. Yeah. Can we go through some of these hacks to... But for sure. I think that's the most important, really, because... So we... hack one. Hack one, yeah. Eat food in the right order. Yeah. What did you mean by that? So to give some context, like all the hacks in my books, they are just summaries of scientific studies. So when I was going really deep into all the science, I found, you know, all these symptoms and conditions linked to spikes. And I found also these amazing ways we could still eat everything we loved, but without creating these spikes, right? So still eating everything you love, but reducing any symptoms or any problems you might be having physically or mentally. Okay, so eat your food in the right order. So next time you're faced with a meal, listeners, next time you're faced with a meal, there's something amazing that you should know. If you eat the ingredients in the meal in a specific order, you can reduce the glucose spike of that meal by up to 75% without changing how much you're eating, what you're eating. Just the order has a massive impact on your glucose. So you can still eat the same meal with way less spikes and way less consequences. So the right order is veggies first, I should make a t-shirt. Veggies first, <laughs> proteins and fats second, and starches and sugars last. So let's take an example of a meal maybe. Stephen, what's a typical meal you have? And then we'll add stuff for the example. Cookies. Okay, so let's say cookies, so that's your sugars. Let's say you're having cookies. Let's say, I don't know, you eat fish? Yeah. Okay, let's I say- I eat everything to be okay. honest. I just, I'm so, other than snails, I've still got a little bit of a psychological issue there, but- I've never tried snails and I'm French. Really? Yeah. I just, it just grosses me out. I think that's something you need to no. figure out. <laughs> okay, so let's say you have like some fish, some broccoli, some pasta, some olive oil and avocado and a cookie. So the right order for your glucose levels is going to be the broccoli first, mm -hmm. then the fish, then the pasta and the cookie and the avocado and olive oil. You can kind of have it like with the, with the fish. Now, this is an interesting like theoretical thing to understand, it might not always be very practical to just separate out your meal and be like, okay, this first, that then, that then. But there's a few things you should know. Number one, you don't actually have to wait between any of these foods. You can just eat them one after the other and still get the amazing impact on your glucose levels. And number two, really the most important thing here that we need to learn from this scientific study is that the veggies should come first. So what I do now and what, you know, my community does is that we all have always have a veggie starter at the beginning of a meal, and then we just eat the rest of the meal kind of normally. And that already has a massive impact on your glucose levels and how you're going to feel. A lot of people when they do it in the, do it very much in the opposite order in t terms of like, kind of, they leave the veggies on the side of the plate. You know, I think when I was a kid, I'd go for whatever was tasty first. And yeah. then when the, whatever, the green stuff. I always went for the pasta first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it was like a requirement. So often parents will say, eat the fucking greens yep. as well before yep. you get your dessert, you know. That's interesting. I mean, although in restaurants, obviously dessert comes last, which is probably- And in restaurants thing. also, you know, bread usually comes first. And uh, so yeah. let me explain why it's so important to avoid having the bread first. So bread is a starch. And as I explained, you know, there's starches and sugars. And those are the two things that turn into glucose when we digest them. And so when we eat something that contains glucose on an empty stomach, so when we eat it first, like a piece of bread, 
the starch breaks down into glucose molecules in your stomach and then shoop, makes its way super quickly into your intestine and your bloodstream because there's nothing stopping it. There's like, hey, just like roller coaster. So it goes straight from your mouth to your bloodstream. So very quickly, the glucose makes its way to your bloodstream and increases the concentration and causes a spike. Now, if you start your meal with veggies instead, this is what happens. Veggies contain another superwoman. And I, I love how all my uh, molecules and substances are female. But anyway, she's a superwoman. Fiber. Have you heard of fiber before? I love fiber. You love fiber. So veggies contain fiber. And fiber, when we eat it at the beginning of a meal, she does something absolutely amazing. When she arrives first in your stomach and digestive tract, she makes its way from your stomach to your upper intestine. And there she deploys itself like onto the walls of your intestine, like in a cool, viscous, protective mesh and just stays there protecting you. That viscous mesh that fiber has created is then going to reduce the spike of your meal because all the glucose molecules arriving later on from like the pasta, for example, are not going to be able to make their way as quickly and as much through your intestine into your bloodstream. Because of the fiber shield, the glucose molecules are going to take way longer to make their way into your bloodstream. As a result, you get a smaller spike, but you still ate the same food. What Just with some veggies first. I know she's amazing. So I, so I, when I go to a restaurant, you know, you go to some restaurants, they give you bread. Others, like the Japanese ones, give you like edamame. Yeah, that's much better. Yeah, that's a that's a veggie, right? So mm. any type of veggie is going to be really helpful. And I try to make it uh, make up about like thirty percent mm. of my meal, and it can be anything. They can be raw. They can be cooked. Um, in my new book, I have like 35 amazing veggie starter recipes. You can dress them. You can put, you know, some, I don't know, olive oil, vinegar, lemon, cheese, whatever onto it to make that veggie starter feel really delicious because it's going to protect you so much. And if you're somebody who suffers from cravings in the afternoon or unsteady energy, I think this hack is a really powerful one to try out. I often, you know, I'm a speed eater. I'm going to be honest. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you. I um. I tend to eat my meals super quick, and I think the excuse I tell myself, bullshit or not, is that because I'm busy, I just like. Yeah. So you like inhale you, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I'm, I, I know because when I, if I eat something, say with my girlfriend or whatever, she's she she. I mean, she like literally blesses the food with her hands first, wow. and then she like takes her time. I eat super fast too. I'm like treating it like it's a, a competition, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she's often said to me, she's like, babe, just slow down, like just. And um, one of the points that someone raised to me at some point about my like super fast eating habit was that it is bad for me. Mm. Now I'm wondering from what you said there, if the speed in which we eat has an impact on our glucose spikes as well. If I ate slower, could I flatten the curve? Absolutely, baby, yes. Really? Yes. She's right. Well, yes. Then again, listen, I'm a very strong proponent of like pick your battles, right? And like, yes, we could all do better in so many different ways, but also, you know, you're a speed eater. That's fine. Maybe you just deal no, with that. I'm trying to live my best life. Okay. So no, if you yeah. want to slow down aging and do all that, so you can do two things. You can either just eat as quickly as you want, but add a veggie starter at the beginning of your meal, right? That already is going to have a very powerful impact on your glucose. I would argue it probably will have a stronger impact than just eating the same meal more slowly. Because you're not going to eat the meal over like two hours, right? You might go from like three minutes to eight minutes. It's not that big of a difference. The veggie starter will have a much bigger impact on your glucose than just increasing that by a few minutes. 
Do you remember hack number three from your book? Uh, stop counting calories. That's a ghostwriter check. <laughs> I can confirm. I can confirm you wrote your book. Uh, I did. I had so much fun writing the book. Uh, Tell yeah. me about that one. Well, so what do you know about calories? Very little. Yeah, it's fine. But tell me, tell me, like the, the what I what I what I think they are. Yeah, um, or just generally, it's the, like it's a, th it's a thing. Yes. Thermo. Oh, I'm talking like a much simpler definition. Okay, I was like, going to try and impress you. Yeah. So. Oh, sure, you can if you want. Please. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a thermonuclear reaction where a calorie is the measure of how much heat is required to break down a molecule of food. That's really not bad. Thank you. Wow. You really should give yourself more credit because when before we started, you were like, I know nothing about food and biochemistry. Actually, you know some pretty good stuff. Well, you know, I, I know from just like doing this podcast. Yeah. So, and it's, yeah, this is why I really do it because for very selfish reasons. And I realize that it's helping a lot of other people that are also idiots. Um, but <laughs> but that's, that's what I know from guests that have sat here. So that's my definition of a calorie. Fantastic. So I think a lot of people will also stay like, oh yeah, calories are bad. Like I need to eat not too many calories, otherwise bad stuff happens and I gain weight or whatever. So I want you to know how calories were actually invented and measured because it is completely mind-boggling. So the way that scientists first started measuring the calories in a food is the following. Okay, so let's use our imagination here. The scientists, they took a box, okay, and they put a food in that box. Let's say that cookie. Mm. They put the cookie in a box. Then they put this box with a cookie in it under... I mean, in another box that contains water. So they submerge the cookie box in water, okay? And then somehow they light the cookie inside the small box on fire. They burn the cookie and they measure by how many degrees the water, the surrounding water, increases in temperature. That is how we measured calories. Literally measuring how much heat happens when we burn that food. So as a result, you might say, okay, well, you know, you might test a cookie in this setting and you might test it against, I don't know, an avocado. And you might see that the temperature in that big box inc sorry, increases by as many degrees for both the cookie and the avocado. So you, you know, from a calorie perspective, you'd say these two foods contain the same number of calories. But that's a really reductive way of thinking about food. It's almost like thinking these two books are both 500 pages, therefore they're the same. You see how that's a problem? The number of pages in a book doesn't tell us anything about what the book is about, who wrote it, what are the words, what's the message, no clue. The calories in a food also gives us no information about what's actually in the food. How is that food going to impact how I feel, my physical health, my mental health, my glucose levels? So. I want to teach people about the molecules in the food. So they actually start recognizing like, oh, that food is going to make a spike. That food is not. And teaching them hacks so they can, you know, improve their health. And so hack number three is called stop counting calories because essentially what I found is that if people just focus on balancing their glucose levels and using the hacks to do that and just completely stop counting calories, their health improves significantly. And it's a much nicer world to live in than a world of calorie counting. Because something else you should know, two people can be eating the exact same number of calories. Let's say, you know, 2000 calories a day. But if one person is eating in a way that causes all these spikes and the other one isn't, the spiky 2000 calorie person is going to be full of cravings, exhausted, 
inflamed, aging faster, not sleeping as well, could have mental health issues, could have PCOS, yeah, could be gaining weight. Like, it's not the same thing. The calories are not really what matters. We need to learn about how the food is actually affecting us. Interesting. I find that so interesting because <clears throat> I was thinking as you were speaking, you answered it there at the end that a lot of the, the reason why people do count calories is for weight loss or weight, you know, gain reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but because of the glucose spikes in one set of 2000 calories, one meal that will give me 2000 calories, it will have a significant impact on the insulin yeah. levels. And also on how you're feeling and how you're doing and how difficult, you know, that fat loss is or not, how much of a good time you're having along the way. Mm. That's the nuance that really, you know, people use calorie counting as a tool, I guess, but that's the nuance that's really missing if you really want to achieve any of those goals for whatever reason you have. Absolutely. And then, you know, uh, restricting calories, of course, like if you go from 2000 calories to, I don't know how many, but fewer than that, you're essentially reducing how much you're eating, right? So yes, it's possible that'll lead to weight loss. But like one, um, that's not really sustainable. Like, do you really want to count calories for the rest of your life? Like that just, I don't know, that feels really difficult to me. Um, and second, it doesn't tell you again, like what you're eating. So you're reducing quantity. So yeah, that can lead to consequences, but it might not be improving your health at all. You might be losing weight on your body, but actually, you know, increasing the problems and the symptoms and the conditions. So I really hope people stop counting calories and through this science, just kind of learn how to approach the food landscape and how to approach food habits in a way that heals them from everything they want to heal from without the sort of calorie thing. Breakfast. Yeah. What do you have for breakfast, Stephen? Today? Yeah. Uh, nothing yet today. I, I was going, so I was actually, I ordered food, right? To this, this wonderful studio here in London um, at 10.30 a.m. And it said it would take half an hour to get here. And it got here when you arrived. Mm. Now I looked at it and I thought, if I eat this, then I'm going to have some kind of like dump halfway through this conversation. Mm. So it's just sat. Can I ask what there. you ordered? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because some foods, some breakfast foods will have that impact and make you feel tired. <laughs> um, so I ordered a breakfast wraps it's got like eggs avocados bacon in it and it's like a gluten-free wrap thing and i was looking at it thinking because of this bread i think the bread is probably going to make me have a dump mm. and i don't ever want to have like a energy dump halfway yeah. through a conversation i don't want to fall asleep you know that's rude that would be yeah midway through the conversation <laughs> so i've not eaten yet interesting I so, had coffee. so actually you know your choice is is a pretty good one in terms of glucose so the main thing we want to do to steady our glucose levels is have a savory breakfast instead of a sweet one so we want to have a breakfast that contains protein you know like eggs fish meat protein powder maybe some fat like the avocado that's fantastic and maybe some fiber if you want to add some veggies in there and then any sort of like breads or starches or potatoes should be there just for taste it should mm. not be the centerpiece of the breakfast. And then importantly, for a savory breakfast that keeps your glucose level steady, we shouldn't eat anything sweet at all for breakfast, except whole fruit if we want some. What's the difference between whole fruit and whatever isn't whole fruit? <laughs> Ooh, well, you know, as I explained, like fruit has been bred by yeah, humans yeah, yeah. for a super long time to be extra sweet, extra juicy. So today when you look at an apple, for example, it's really been 
pumped full of sweetness and sugar and made really easy to eat. I had this conversation this week with my partner. Um, she was offering me some fruit. And because now I'm like a food, you know, arrogant little food guy because of all these conversations I've had, I was like, babe, it's got sugar in it and they've bred it. And and then she was like, really? And we had a conversation about it and I Googled it. And I said, um, I Googled like the historic banana yes. and apple yes. and the pear. And I showed her and she was like, what? Mm -hmm. Because they, they obviously, you know, the fruit we have today is so bright and big. Absolutely. So like and easy to eat. Yeah, 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 exactly. You peel it, but you know, and then I showed her some of these pictures of these old bananas and they're like tiny and they're like full of seeds and stuff full of seeds yeah. and tiny and actually quite tart you, you know wouldn't eat, yeah you, would, you wouldn't really eat that many no of you them. wouldn't want to yeah and so even though fruit has been bred for a super long time to be extra sweet if you want to eat something sweet it's still the best thing to eat because of the fiber that fruit contains and as they explained you know fiber is protective in so, whole in whole fruit in whole fruit so now here's the thing while a piece of whole fruit is the best thing to eat if you want to eat something sweet, the problem starts when we denature that piece of whole fruit. When we blend it, when we juice it, when we dry it, when we puree it, so many different things. So let's take, for example, when you juice a, a piece of fruit. Juicing is essentially taking away all the fiber, getting, getting rid of all the fiber. The fiber is like the, the hard stuff, you know, the, the pulp and the, everything that's left over. So if you juice like an apple, you're just taking all the sugar from the apple, putting it in water and getting rid of all the protective fiber. So all of that super concentrated sugar that's been bred into that piece of fruit, you're not giving to your body in a really, really fast way. And as I explained, the speed of delivery is really important. The faster all that sugar arrives, the more your mitochondria get hurt, the more the spikes are happening, inflammation, etc. And so when you drink apple juice, you're essentially drinking like the amount of sugar in two already pretty bred apples and drinking it in a few seconds. And so your body is experiencing a massive spike and your body doesn't care whether the sugar came from a piece of fruit or if it came from like cane sugar and is in a can of Coca-Cola. The molecules in the apple juice and in the can of Coke are the same. Your body does not make a difference. Your body's not like, oh, this sugar came from fruit. Now it's going to cause any issues. Oh, this sugar is from Coca-Cola. Oh, it's going to cause problems. Your body does not care. And in a can of fruit juice, there's almost as much sugar as in a can of Coca-Cola. So when we eat fruit juice, we have to do it in a way that's like, okay, this is dessert, right? This is for my pleasure. This is not for my health. This is going to give me pleasure and make, maybe make me feel a bit happy, but it's not going to help my body. Which one of these bastards told me that fruit juice was good for me? I've been drinking this stuff like I was- <laughs> Me too. You know, growing up, if I went and had fruit juice, I was like, well done, Steve. Yeah. You know, you've done yourself, you've done future Steve, a, a massive service there. And then I got to fucking 30 years old and people start telling me that fruit juice is um, bad for me. I'm like, who, who lied to me? Do you want to know who lied? Who? the people who make fruit juice. Yeah, I thought it would be that. Yeah. And same for me, you know, I grew up eating, drinking orange juice and a Nutella crepe every morning for well, breakfast. Well, no, come on, you knew the Nutella crepe wasn't good for you. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, I was like, oh, I'm having orange juice, so it balances it out. You know, I had no idea yeah, yeah. that I was just eating starches and sugars, just eating a massive glucose spike for breakfast. And when you create a big glucose spike at breakfast, your entire day then becomes completely like a glucose roller coaster. The breakfast spike, really di dictates how you're going to be doing for the rest of the day. So what is a whole fruit? 
a whole fruit is like a piece of fruit that is just oh you like mean just whole. like not processed okay yeah like a <clears throat> like something you can hold in your hand that okay. you buy the supermarket like an untouched yeah. from the tree okay i thought it's, it's not a certain type of fruit it's just you're talking about the state of the fruit like, yeah okay what would be a better word for whole no i guess that is the word i'm just an idiot like um <laughs> uh, uh, a piece of i don't know Whole is probably the right word. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to have any... So granola. I used yeah. to think granola was... I was like, a, again, doing my health service by yeah. eating granola. So listen, if you're having a great time, no symptoms, feeling amazing, top energy, no cravings, no hormonal issues, no skin Save issues, it. I whatever. I want to be Superman. Yeah, like <laughs> if you're doing fine and you're eating things that are sweet and you're having a great time, I have nothing to teach you. But if you're suffering in one way or another many of the symptoms we talked about earlier look at your breakfast and avoid the sweet stuff so avoid the granolas and the breakfast cereals and the oats with banana and honey in them switch to something savory and i have lots of examples of what's a savory breakfast in my books but that is really going to help set your day on a much better path and going to help your physical and mental health thrive you have these 10 hacks in your book and um there was one in particular that i you know there was nine of them that I thought I can do this. And then there was this other one where I was like- Let me guess. Which one do you think it is? <laughs> um, I actually, I would say the vinegar one. Is that You're the one? You're such a weirdo. How did you, why did you ask me to psychic. drink vinegar before I eat? Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine me going to a restaurant and like, hi, could I just get a glass of vinegar please before I- Well, actually it's happening more and more, Stephen. Why, why are people doing this to themselves? <laughs> okay, because, okay, by That's the way- That's my line, by the way. <laughs> I, I hear you. And by the way, the hacks are there for people to pick and choose from. Okay. You're supposed to like compose with them as you wish. It's not, you don't have to do everything all the time. You don't have to do any of them if you don't want to. It's like information from the science and then you decide what you do with it. Hack seven, drink vinegar before you eat. Yeah. So the scientific studies show us that if we have one tablespoon of vinegar in a tall glass of water, so this is a pretty, this is a pretty good science. One tablespoon of vinegar in a tall glass of water before a meal can reduce the glucose spike of the meal by up to 30%. And the insulin spike by up to 20%, which is important because, you know, insulin is also something we want to manage. And you might be wondering, like, how the heck does that work? Well, vinegar contains another cool molecule called acetic acid. And acetic acid does two main things that help our glucose levels. Number one, you know how I explained that starches, they break down into glucose when you digest them? Well, acetic acid slows down that process. So it slows down how quickly, for example, a piece of bread is going to break down into individual molecules. So it slows down how quickly the molecules of glucose arrive in your bloodstream, which is, again, what we want. We want to slow down the velocity. And second, acetic acid goes to your muscles and it tells your muscles to soak up glucose as it arrives into your body. So glucose arrives more slowly in the bloodstream and muscles soak it up as it gets there. So those two actions reduce the spike of the meal without you needing to change any part of that meal. So if you wanted to have that cookie and you wanted to have the cookie without setting off a glucose roller coaster, without setting off that sugar addiction, having a vinegar drink before would be a really good idea. I'll think about it. Um, <clears throat> moving on. Hack eight. After you eat, move. People yeah. say this, you know, they, they go for walks and stuff after like the Christmas meal or whatever. 
But why why is that from a scientific perspective important? It's interesting because it's been around culturally for a very long time, yeah. right? You like the post meal walk, etc. Even the veggie starter. I mean, in France, we you know we have this thing called crudité, which is raw veggies at the beginning of a meal. We've had it for forever, you know, just culturally. In Italy, antipasti, veggies first, etc. So it's cool to see that a lot of these hacks have been around for a very long time, but now we understand how they work, and so we're able to be like, oh. I want that back in my life. So moving after eating. So your muscles, when they contract, they need energy to do so. And the first place they look for this energy is in the glucose in your bloodstream. So we can use that to our advantage. The more muscle is contracting, the more glucose it needs. So if we use our muscles for 10 minutes after a meal, some of the glucose from that meal will make its way to your muscles instead of just standing there and creating a spike. And so you can use your muscles in lots of different ways. You can go for a walk, you can clean your apartment, you can play with your dog, you can go to the gym, and you can do my new favorite thing, which is, let's do it together, Stephen. So put your feet on the ground yeah. and do some calf raises. Do you know what that is? You just like go onto your tippy toes and oh, back yeah. down, calf raises, and you feel your calf contracting. Yeah. So this is actually a really effective way to get your muscles to soak up glucose because there's a muscle in your calf called the soleus muscle, which is really extra good at soaking up glucose. So for example, after a meal, you're at work, you're at your desk, you want to reduce the spike, do some calf raises like this. Nobody will see, and you'll be helping People your glucose levels. People are gonna think I'm so weird. They're gonna see me have this shot of vinegar and then sit here like I'm, like, I'm, like there's something in yeah, my Yeah, but shoes. then they're gonna be like, damn, Steven is doing so great. Look, he's 65 and still kayaking. Like <laughs> yeah. then they might think they should have done it's, the it's, same. It's a good trade-off. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to take the weirdness. Um, that, that's really interesting because w- when I think about glucose spikes and movement and stuff and what you've just said there, my, th- my mind went straight to being sat on a plane, which mm. I do a lot of. And they bring the food down, they bring the dessert trolley down or whatever. And then you, you eat the, not me of course, but someone else, a friend of mine, <laughs> he ate the cookie on the dessert trolley. And then he sat there for 10 hours because he was on a plane. That sounds like a fucking nightmare. Well, for your glucose, it's not great, but there's lots of things you can do. So first, don't have the cookie on an empty stomach. Have it after some other food. For example, maybe you bought like some nuts mm. at the airport. Have some of those nuts before the cookie. That's what I call putting clothing on your carbs. And then you can do some calf raises in a plane, right? Shot of vinegar. You can do the vinegar. Don't do it as a shot. Make sure you dilute it. It's better for your teeth. Okay. Okay. Generally, do you have a like a hypothesis or an idea or a system for when you travel and what you eat? Yes. If I'm traveling, I always make sure I have a really, really good savory breakfast, even if I'm not hungry Mm. before I leave for the plane. So I have like my favorite, like two egg omelet with feta and tomatoes. It's my favorite thing to make. What is your general, what is your general, walk me through your food. You know, I I was was watching your, um, some of your interviews and the most replayed part of one of your interviews was you describing what you ate. No way. Yes. It was, wow. it was an hour and a half long interview. And at the very, very end of it, the interviewer asked you what you ate on a daily basis. Wow. And that was the highest spike oh. in the in the replay time. So I thought, you know, for clearly that's what people want to know at home that's right interesting. now. So in, a, in, a, in, a, in an idyllic okay. Jesse day. Okay. So my favorite two egg omelets for breakfast. Give me timings as well. Oh, wow. Phew. I mean, that depends. I really, my days change so much. Um, I don't know, like. On an idyllic day, based okay. on the science, if you were being super <laughs> Um Okay, I'm just gonna take a shot in the dark here. Um, okay, I wake up at 7.45, 
have breakfast at 8.15, two egg omelets with feta and tomatoes. And then that makes me feel pretty good and full into lunch. At lunch, I usually will have like a big ass salad. So like maybe some spinach, quinoa, everything mixed together. I put some vinegar dressing in there to reduce the spike. Um, salmon, avocado, cheese, like a nice big, like yummy thing. Then inevitably, inevitably in the afternoon, I want to eat something sweet because I, I love sugar. Like that's the thing you have to understand. Like I love sweet foods. And that's one of the reasons that I figured out all these hacks. Cause I was like, I need to reduce my spikes cause I want my mental health to improve, but I don't want to give up my chocolate cake. Like that's just not happening. So anyway, inevitably in the afternoon, I'm like, hmm, time for some sweet foods. So I'll do lots of hacks around that. I'll do the vinegar hack before the chocolate cake. I'll also do another hack we haven't spoken about yet called putting clothing on your carbs. Um, and so that means when you're eating starches and sugars, add some protein, fat or fiber to them. So for example, I have the chocolate cake with some Greek yogurt, which is actually a freaking delicious combo as well. So I'll do that and then I'll go for a walk or I'll go to the gym, or I'll use my muscles. So I'm getting all the pleasure from the cake with less of an impact. And then in the evening is usually when I have more time to have like a more like longer meal. So I'll do veggie starter, some nice whatever proteins and pasta afterwards. Um, and then usually I don't really want anything sweet at, after dinner because I've had the sweet thing in the afternoon. That would be my, you know, common food habits. But then today, for example, I woke up at 545 because I had this shoot to go to in the morning before coming here. And so I just grabbed some ham from my fridge and I have it in my bag now. And I just started munching on some ham in the morning because again, a protein centric breakfast is really key to making sure you have lots of energy all day. And I wanted to come here and have a lot of energy, you know? So I was like, I need to be really good about my savory breakfast today. So I just had that. So going back then to my breakfast today, yeah. ahead of doing this podcast, you know, these podcasts sometimes last, you know, two hours, three hours, whatever it might be. What should I be eating mm. in your view to stay high energy, to stay focused, et cetera, et cetera? And what should I not be eating? So you should definitely avoid granola, okay. anything sweet, right? You want to think about, okay, protein at breakfast. So actually your breakfast wrap was pretty good, I would say, because it has eggs, it has avocado, it has, you know, some fats, some protein. That's pretty, pretty good. And as long as the wrap is not like a huge amount of bread, you're mm -hmm. fine because it's fine to have bread or starches in the morning for taste. So to me, that would feel like a really good, really good option. And if you do get tired after eating something like that, maybe you're having a bit too much food. That can also be a, a thing. Um, so maybe you have half and you should feel pretty good. Okay. That's good to know. I always and, wonder. And then, you know, a lot of people, they're sad to give up their sweet breakfast foods. And here's another hack you can use. It's, you can still have that sugar, but have it as dessert after lunch or after dinner, instead of like in the morning on an empty stomach. So it's not about cutting anything out. It's about learning to place the foods and organize them in a way that keeps your glucose levels steady so that you don't kick off the cravings roller coaster where you feel so controlled by all the sugar and the food around you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm interrupting this broadcast with a very special announcement. 
Two years ago, I started writing a book based on everything I've learned from doing this podcast and meeting all of the incredible people that I've had the privilege of meeting, but also from my career in business, from running my marketing businesses, my software business, my investment fund, and everything else that I've been doing in business and life. And from this, I've created a brand new book called The Diary of a CEO, The 33 Laws for Business and Life. If you want to build something great or become great yourself, like the guests that I've sat here and interviewed, I ask you, please, 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 read these 33 laws. The book I always should have written. If you like this podcast, this book is for you. And it is available now in the description of this podcast below. And every single day until it's out later this month, one person that pre-orders it, that takes a picture of their pre-order, uploads it to their story on Instagram or social media and tags me, will win a gold version of this book signed by me. And there's only 33 copies of those available. So pre-order it now, tag me on social media when you do, and 33 of you are going to win a very, very special book. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Thank you.